Welcome to the first edition of the H-Frame podcast. My very special guest is Gary Robeson. Gary, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Today we're going to talk about uh, British culture after the war and uh, the band Led Zeppelin and how it fits into everything. So, ready to go? Yeah. I'm ready to talk about how everything else fits around Led Zeppelin, yeah. That's sure. right. Okay. Everything revolves around Led Zeppelin. Pretty so, much. And that's what we're going to do today. There's an interesting concept that we've talked about before, we've known each other a long time, is the, the British culture between 1945 and, say, 1970, how fast it changed dramatically. Can you tell something about that? And the film that we both like is A Brief Encounter. It came out in 1945. What's that film about? The film, that, that this is a, a, a piece of, of like a symbolism, which kind of, I think at the time that it was made, which was during the war, I think it was made in 42, 43, around that time, as a piece of propaganda. Okay. And it wasn't like the, some of the other kinds of propaganda films you saw, especially, let's say, German propaganda films. It was a, the idea of, particular idea of British propaganda was to impress the viewer with the decency and, and, and depth of British civilization and the goodness of, and decency of British people. Mm-hmm. That, I think that was a, a guiding idea of kind of propaganda during the war film making era for a lot, for a lot of directors. And so Brief Encounter is a film about English values English middle class values, Victorian values, Edwardian, Victorian going into Edwardian yeah. value yeah. values, yeah. Uh, basically values that are, are presented as not having changed much since 1900. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a vision of the social structure and of the kind of moral culture of the society, which is based on decency, honour, and so on and so forth, which at least as an idealization mm-hmm. in, could be presented in 1945 as, as a kind of uh, an image of uh, an idealized image of how Britain could be and how British people were. Okay. Morally, ethically, socially, and all that kind of stuff. And of course, the band we're going to talk about today, a lot of these guys were born, you know, during the war, at least uh, Jimmy Page was, uh, the Rolling Stones, Beatles, all of those guys were born during the war. And do you think there's any significance to this that they were they were born in this time of you know uh, emergency situation in Britain and um, and they came of age in a, in a, the 1950s when it was kind of a interesting transition in Britain culturally. Well, can you talk about that a little bit? I, I have the impression that that transition, if you look at the transition as we go into the 60s, things look very abrupt. Mm-hmm. I think it must have been longer term than that. And looking fairly measured across the, the span of the 50s. Uh, and if you, look at, if you look at that through the lens of popular culture, you can see the sort of injection into British popular culture, youth popular culture, of certain elements of American music. Okay. Really, well, but... really beginning to change the situation and speak to some kind of need for, some, for something that you couldn't find in Brief Encounter. Okay. When we, we can talk about Jimmy Page, really the founding member of Led Zeppelin. He was a young kid, very polite kid. You can see him. He's, he's a good middle a, class boy, yeah. He's a skiffle player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he tells the story that his parents moved to a new house and somebody left a guitar there and he said, I'm going to learn how to play that. And history was changed by that. Um, what do you know about Jimmy Page in the 1950s and sort of the influence of, the, say, the Teddy Boys? Were they influenced by this American rebelliousness of, like, Jimmy Page talks about Elvis Presley changed his life, you know? So what can you say? I about think Elvis that? Presley, James Dean, and Marlon Brando, yeah. the kind of the cinematic, more than the musical mm-hmm. um, products of American popular culture where they showed the Rebel Without a Cause or the Marlon Brando figure in The Wild One. Wild One. Uh, was a thing, but I think the music thing is a bit actually more interesting and a bit less obvious because the the skiffle craze of the fifties. Explain what skiffle was. Skiffle to an is like a, a form of uh, derived from a, an earlier idea of American music in in popular American culture. Um, from with it's a jug band. It's mm-hmm. got, you've got the washboard. You've got the jug band. You've got all those accusing. Almost uh, like a zydeco type. Of yeah, it's zydeco, yeah. but not very Cajun-y. It's yeah, more like yeah. a, it's the it's the old school jug band kind of okay. washboard kind okay. of. Um, kind of mountain music type of thing. No, I think it's. I'm not sure. Okay. I, I can't remember yeah, the yeah, kind of the, yeah, the origins yeah, of it. But yeah. I, that kind of idea of a very rhythmic, yeah. very rhythmic pre-rock and roll music was, mm-hmm. was very big in Britain. Mm-hmm. It was very big in Britain from the as far as I remember the mid 50s, maybe the early 50s, 
and it and it spoke i think to a need for some kind of rhythmic rhythmic excitement some freer form of expression okay. uh, than we had been used to in britain okay and you said you told me earlier the big you know the thing that really s struck lightning in, in Britain was this Bill Haley and the Comets, yeah. Rock Around the Clock. I think Skiffle fans, as, as far as I can yeah. figure or remember, yeah. fell into two broad lots. One were people who were really into the music and there were some there were quite a lot of people who went on to be kind of jazz musicians mm -hmm. who were also into mm -hmm. Skiffle. But uh, when it, Skiffle was like the step before, it was like preparing the culture or being this phase before the real American rock and roll arrived. Okay. And that was Bill Haley. It wasn't Elvis. It wasn't Little Richard, it wasn't Chuck Berry, it was Bill Haley, Rock Around the Clock in 1956, and that was huge in England. It's hard to explain to, to people today the influence of an electric guitar, um, why that was such a cultural transition. What was special about this I, electrification? I, I, I don't know, I'm not a musicologist. I think yeah. the kind of excitement, the kind of passion, the kind of electrified kind of energy mm -hmm. that it could convey mm -hmm. to young people. Uh, yeah, and you, you don't get that in Skiffle because there are, there are no electric instruments. Okay. You get that when um, Bill Haley comes along with only lightly electrified mm -hmm. instruments because okay. he was really a hillbilly musician. So we get Jimmy Page going into the 1960s, 1960 culture in Britain, still very polite society. But Jimmy Page feels something about this American music, Elvis, uh, the blues musicians. And he becomes a session, uh, very in-demand uh, session musician. And very, very intelligent person about music. Same with John Paul Jones, we'll talk about later. But really, the, the origins of uh, the 1960s come in a couple of cultural events. We've talked about this. C.S. Lewis dies in Britain on the same day John Kennedy is assassinated in the United States. And a couple of weeks later, the Beatles go on the Ed Sullivan Show in New York. What was the fascination with British... Um, bands having to make it in America and and why was America special uh, at well, that time you know I, I suppose it would be for a number of reasons one is that was where the money was yeah mm -hmm. two is that is where the glamour was mm -hmm. if we go back to the aforementioned uh, James Dean's Elvis's mm -hmm. Marlon Brando's where the glamour was that was the big challenge and as it's probably also an idea you're starting to get the idea perhaps in the early 60s in Britain that the great imperial notable power that it had been was somehow sh shrinking mm -hmm. and that there's some kind of transition was taking place between the kind of center of gravity in the world between a kind of shrinking mm -hmm. sort of post-imperial Britain and all that beautiful stuff in the United States. And I, I teach a class on the history of the 60s and I usually have just some quick anecdote. The 60s really began that day in November of 1963 when Kennedy was shot and C.S. Lewis dies, which was completely overshadowed. What did the death of C.S. Lewis mean in British? Well, I would suppose, and, in retrospect, yeah. that you, you could read that as a kind of symbolic, as being symbolic of, this, of the really accelerating decline of the, of the religious culture of the Church of England in Britain, of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the... There's an argument to be made about the fairly sort of precipitous decline of Christianity in Britain that you can really start to observe in, yeah. not as dramatically as later, but still start to observe in the 60s. Um, and the the kind of spiritualized popular culture yeah. that Jimmy Page and yeah. people like him were going to start embodying and representing a few years later. So we have this 1963, the Beatles conquer America almost immediately. You have the Rolling Stones following quickly after that. But the origins of the Led Zeppelin phenomenon came with the Yardbirds, right? And yeah. uh, tell me something about the Yardbirds. Where did they come Yardbirds from? Yardbirds come yeah. out of the yeah. British yeah. blues boom. Yeah. The blues boom is an interesting, um, really late, very late 50s, but really early 60s thing where a significant number of British, young British musicians and music lovers um, fell in love and wanted to kind of latch onto and then eventually make their own versions of mm -hmm. American Britain and Blues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, Muddy Waters, Sonny Boy Williamson, and all that kind of Howlin stuff. Howlin' Wolf, Howlin you know, Wolf, these guys. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the Stones yeah. were obsessed with Howlin' Wolf. Yeah. 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 And um, 
And it was good. It was an energy that people hadn't seen before. You... Where else could the energy have come from? It, it didn't seem to be in, like there waiting to be tapped on in, in the British culture of the time. You can look at this early Yardbirds film, and Eric Clapton was their first guitarist, right? Think about, you know, and he got out because they wanted to be too pop. They had to have singles. But if you look at early raw footage of the Yardbirds, they were really ahead of their time. Way ahead of their time. If you look at something like, uh, if you look at, do you listen just to Shapes of Things to Come, which uh, as far mm -hmm. as I remember is 66. So it's a very interesting tipping point kind of moment. Mm -hmm. Winston Churchill has died in 65. Tell me with, something with about the that. The great, great ceremonial state funeral where they were clearly burying, uh, by general consensus, the greatest man of the British 20th century, but they mm -hmm. were burying something else as well. Something else was being buried. An age was being buried, right? The, the, the imperial idea, the particular idea of English greatness was being buried as well. And then within a year, you've got Jeff Beck on Shape of Things to Come playing what, as far as I know, is the first really fuzzed up, distorted, psychedelic guitar solo. Even before Keith Richards did it on Oh, way before, yeah. yeah. Well, I think so. I think yeah, that, yeah. I think this is 66. So if you listen to the Beatles albums of that time, mm -hmm. um, even, well, Hendrix doesn't make his first album until 67. He comes to London to do it. Yeah. And as far as I know, he, one of the reasons that one of the what brings him to London is that Jeff Beck and mm -hmm. Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton, those guys are there. So if you listen to Shape of Things to Come from '66, it's Yardbirds, yeah, the Yardbirds, yeah. it's a fascinating yeah. record. Yeah. And uh, as far as I know, and there's always a debate about these things, yeah. it's the first kind of, at least in the British context, really psychedelic, distorted guitar sound. And you can see this, right? Um, and the Yardbirds. They tour America. They're a little bit ahead of their time. They have distortion. Uh, there's a lot of blues influence there. And as fate would have it, their bassist quits and Jimi Hendrix takes the job in the Yardbirds. I mean, uh, Jimmy Page takes his job in the, in, the, in the Yardbirds. And you have two of the best guitarists in history in the same band at the same time. You have Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page. And you can see it in this film that we've talked in about. Blow up. In the mod. Tell us about the mods. What are the mods? Oh, the, mod, the mods are, are kind of contemporary with, with the Yardbirds you see in the movie Blow Up, mm -hmm. but slightly different. Mm -hmm. uh, if you watch the, the clip of Jeff Beck, uh, especially Jeff Beck smashing up his guitar mm -hmm. and being very kind of sort of contrived rock and rolly on the mm -hmm. Pete Townsend model, mm -hmm. uh, watch how he's dressed. He's wearing very smart, tailored clothes. He's, yeah. It's not all freak out, messy clothes, yeah. as it were. Wow. The kind of the love beads and the out of control hair. It's all tailored clothing. Yeah. Uh, and Jeff Beck really sh shows you that. Jimmy Page looks very smart as well. Mm -hmm. And that's what year is this 66? that's 66 yeah. so, so mm -hmm. I think the thing to get here is that there are the psychedelic kind of movement the psychedelic rock movement that mm -hmm. Jeff Beck sort of pioneers mm -hmm. I, would, I would argue is comes out of something else which was a more um, a kind of a more people often say working class Dance, dance yeah. based, uh, party based, kind of uh, working class subculture. And of which course, is mod, which is about tailored clothing, looking smart, listening to Tamla Mot Motown records and rhythm blues. And of course, and not, not to ignore the obvious, but you also see the insertion of psychedelic drugs in America in 1964 with Ken Kesey and then popularized in the pop culture. And I'm sure that transferred across the ocean and oh, without a doubt and when Jimi yeah. Hendrix came across yeah. I have a feeling that sort of symbolically carried mm -hmm. some more very potent idea of, a, of an American drug drug fueled psychedelic mm -hmm. culture with him and you told me once a good story about you you think that there was a symbolic moment in the 1960s when John Lennon was at Shea Stadium in New York and he has this look on his face and you can if you capture a moment you can see when everything changed can you tell if me you, about I that? think this yeah. is 65, 65 at Shea Stadium okay yeah. so it's yeah. the same year as Churchill's funeral yeah. and this yeah. is a very interesting tipping point comparison yeah uh, in the same year that Churchill dies you can and especially if you sh slow that footage down mm -hmm. There's a moment in that in that very short set, and I think they're singing. They played like 30 minutes. They right? played short sets, yeah, yeah. and I'm trying to remember which and song. And you couldn't it even hear them play. No, the, I'm the trying to remember which song. Like, there's a moment where where John Lennon just kind of looks up at 65. Looks up at all people. of the, his adoring public, yeah, his yeah. fanatically worshipful public, and mm -hmm. looks as if he's beginning to. You get some idea that he's starting to feel himself like, a, at the very least, like a kind of shamanic, spiritually 
omnipotent, well, extra human sort of figure. Wasn't that about the time of his, we're bigger than Jesus comment that caused him so time, much yeah. problems? You know, so, so maybe there's something there to yeah. contrast with the C.S. Lewis moment. So C.S. Mm -hmm. Lewis um, is somehow associated with a, with a decline of interest in, the, in real Christianity, probably in that country. And then the Beatles were And then you've got a kind of spiritualized, yeah. mm -hmm. which I think gets captured on the look on Lennon's face in the mm -hmm. Shea Stadium show. Uh, 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 some kind of new uh, new idea of a kind of spiritualized form of musical popular culture, okay. which the Beatles are then going to drive forward. And of course, so we get to Led Zeppelin, and then we get you know the famous drug bust in, in the spring of 1967, where the Rolling Stones, with Marianne Faithful, a very proper girl, gets caught in a compromising situation, and, and the, to say the least, and the counterculture sort of becomes normalized in a way. The drugs are part of the culture; they're accepted in a way. And then that's the end of the Yardbirds. Uh, the Yardbirds quit, uh, most of them. They're they exhausted. Quit except for Jimmy, yeah. And Jimmy Page is the last one, and he says, we're gonna start a new group, um, new foundation. He says, the Yardbirds had some things I could really extend myself, and I had a lot of good ideas, and I just needed to get a band, and fortunately, I got one. And tell us about the foundation of this new band that became known as Led Zeppelin. How did it start? Well, I don't remember all the details. I think that the cream that they, in my mind, I'm not sure how much he ever spoke about this, but mm -hmm. Jimmy Page must have been influenced by um, what Cream had done around the same time they were doing. Cream took what the Yards were doing to another a kind power of power trio, right? Yeah, this, power trio. This whole idea of uh, and electrification and yeah, amping it, it up. It's taking the blues yeah. from being the yeah. blues, or even from a kind of amped up rhythm and blues to a whole. Mm -hmm. different level of amplitude and mm -hmm. intensity really and with sort of distortion and, and yeah. electrification and sort of uh, stretching out the yardbird sound yeah if you listen to that yeah. first zeppelin yeah. album yeah. It's, half of it is just blues standards really yeah, yeah. a big chunk of it but with electrification but right. my but they mm -hmm. sound so much heavier and bigger yeah. and more electrified and more in in some ways more intense in some ways more intense than the originals they were based on. So Jimmy Page has the task of getting a new band, right? Jimmy Page is one of the greatest session musicians in, of the time, widely respected as a session musician, looking for a band. And the first place he looks, um, he finds John Paul Jones, right? Who is also a session musician, very classically trained musician almost, who's a keyboard player, he's a bassist. What do we know about John Paul Jones? Why? Do, and, and I heard that Jimmy Page I'm looking to get a band together, you know, to put it simply. And uh, he knew John Paul I think Jones. John Paul Jones was somebody yeah. he knew yeah. from the London recording scene as someone he could trust. Yeah. Someone who's a high caliber musician, very accomplished and knowledgeable yeah. um, about uh, music in a serious way. And I think the beauty of Zeppelin is he took that. The Zeppelin comes in two parts, really, and then two parts make yeah. the whole. And we're still you talking do, about the New Yardbirds. We yeah. don't even have a name yet. But by right? the, before yeah. you get to you've yeah. got you've yeah. got two Southern middle-class guys well-versed in all kinds of music and very accomplished mm -hmm. musicians and i think one of the great kind of intuitive um the great intuitive dec decision that jimmy page made was to take two younger much rawer not southern guys from birmingham or the west of birmingham kind of okay black country Tell area us. to provide the kind of untutored intuitive kind of raw energy that, that for all gets together, gets put together. For an international audience that might not know the difference between London and the Midlands or in Birmingham, so, what's the um, difference? Well, know? very different. London, England's actually, Britain is a small country relative to the United mm -hmm, States, obviously, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but with a great deal of regional variety in like vernacular culture, accents, mm -hmm. um, regional culture, that kind of thing. Or that, that was probably still much more the case in the 60s and 70s yeah. than it is now. Yeah. So uh, the, the move from um, kind of cultured, well-educated, southern, middle-class um, English guys who could almost have appeared in Brief Encounter. London. Yeah, yeah. from some kids, southern, yeah. around London, around the London area, who were, were, were with the exception of their long hair, uh -huh. you could almost have recognized them from the way they spoke. I'm talking about Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones uh -huh. from the characters in Brief Encounter. Uh -huh. Um, th there was a kind of continuity there, culture. And but the guys from, uh, the, uh, so the other two guys, uh, John Bonham and Robert Plant, are more working class, mm -hmm. more kind of muscularly provincial and masculine, and more kind of. Uh, okay. 
energetic in their approach to uh, so, what they were invited to do. So I the think. story I heard is Jimmy Page is looking for a band and he wants, obviously, to be the focal point of this band, but he's a smart guy. He's not, a, you know, he really knows what he wants. And he goes up and he hears Robert Plant and he says, Robert Plant's 19 years old. Think about that. I think John Bonham was 19 as well. When they yeah, think about again. that. And they go up there and he says, and Peter Grant, their manager, we'll get to him in a minute, he tells a story that Jimmy Page called him, and he says, what does Jimmy Page is calling me? This is very unusual. And he says, we got this drummer up here. We got to have him. You know, imagine Jimmy Page probably knows music as well as anybody. He says, we got to have that drummer, and we have a vocalist. And right there, you have four members who are accomplished musicians, in, and they all fit together in a certain way in this, what they call the New Yardbirds in late mm -hmm. 1968. Mm-hmm. What made them fit together uh, as... Uh, I suppose the, the chemistry mm. of the personalities. Um, one of the things that strikes you if you follow their career, and, and it's ups and downs, and they did have some downs, mm -hmm. was how cohesive they were as a group of, of people. Mm -hmm. and how much they liked one another, how much they kind of respected one another, how much they enjoyed working together. So I think relative to a lot of the other bands that you see, I mean, Pete Towns talked very openly. He, he couldn't stand the sight of the other guys in The Who. Mm -hmm. uh, the Rolling Stones were, I think, another case in which there were different, yeah, very different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. Where the, uh, the uh, you could multiply these mm -hmm. examples. But I think that one of the ingredients about the, the Zeppelin phenomenon was how cohesively unified and friendly like mm -hmm. a gang like a really yeah. tight gang that those they guys supported each other yeah, totally and they they um and and when they get together in late 1968 it's kind of an experiment they don't really know but uh the story i always heard is jimmy page invited robert plant down to his boat and when he was living on the river in london and uh and he says hey here's a joan Baez song can you deal with it and and he says if if robert plant would have said no he wasn't sure if he wanted him to be his singer but this, robert plant said i can sure this and, could have been yeah. like a test i think yeah, yeah i think yeah. all of them were steeped in older forms of american music in mm -hmm. kind of folk mm -hmm. and um blues mm -hmm. and but also in the english folk tradition mm -hmm. so it may have been the case that Jimmy Page was just trying to see how much of a range or a kind of musical imagination or or connection with musical heritage of a more folkish mm -hmm. um, variety than a lot of the kind of blues, blues boom musicians might have had. And of course, they hit it off right away. I think those two had a very special relationship. Yeah. And um, Well, they became the new Jagger and Richards, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in the Zeppelin version. So they're the New Yardbirds, and it's an experiment. They get a, an advance from Atlantic Records. They get Peter Grant. It's is, a five-album deal or something. Yeah, I think it's incredible. That's Peter Grant for you, yeah. Yeah, Peter Grant, and we'll talk about him in a minute, as being the organizer of this band, because he really did change the face of you know, popular music, and, and um, Yardbirds weren't making any money. You know, that's what the Yardbirds would yeah. just get ripped off in America by um, yeah. unscrupulous yeah. entities. Yeah. Uh, and, and Peter Grant decided no. So late 1968, we got this band, and the, the famous story is that Keith Moon or John Entwistle, one of the two members of The Who, they were splitting apart, apparently, and they thought about getting a band together with Jimmy Page. And either Keith Moon or Entwistle said, it's going to go over like a lead balloon, like a lead zeppelin. Um, and the name kind of stuck. And they changed the, the spelling from lead to LED because people would think it was lead zeppelin. And... Um, and they go on a tour um, of Scandinavia, and it's a raw sound. No, no, people haven't heard this sound before. No, the people would, they might have got an inkling of it from listening to Cream, yeah, but yeah. not that heavy. Yeah. yeah. So at Christmas time, 1968, they go on their first tour of America, and they're not even the headliner. Vanilla Fudge is the head, headliner. But in those days, word of mouth, there's no internet. There's no, you know, they just, they just, they nailed it and uh, jimmy page says we knew we had america we played in san francisco one time and just we knew we had it you know what what made them special why was why were the americans attracted to this i know there was fm radio mm -hmm. which was changing because before that kids don't remember there was just a two two minute am hit on an am radio and you had to have a single they, when i was growing up in yeah, england i yeah. never ever ever heard a led zeppelin record on the radio really never yeah. I, they were i didn't release singles Famously, and they they were they were 
well, the, the whole radio uh, system was different. The whole setup was different. In Britain, we had like Radio One, mm-hmm. which played deep pop or rock music, mm-hmm. and rock mu- and we had pirate stations beaming. You know, we had, in the city, we had the, yeah. there's a legacy of pirate stations. But I think I've said this to you before. Me and people of my age who were kind of uh, you know kind of music fanatics never heard any of the music we liked on the radio ever. We had to go and seek it. We had to hang out in record shops and find. We had it. to go and find the music. Uh, and this was a little a, bit like the Muddy Waters and the and the Howlin' Wolf. I guess thing. so. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. It, would, it would be a music that you yeah. that you went and saw, and I think that that adds to to its mystique. I think mm-hmm. one of the things about Zeppelin is the incredible mystique they accrued from never presenting themselves as a commercialized product. Peter Grant, their manager, a famous guy. He's giant of a man. He was a former wrestler, but he also had these strong arm tactics, leading the way for his band. And he yeah. said, we're not going to get ripped off anymore. Yeah. But he had a very interesting idea, and it, it's completely opposite of what we see today, is they no TV, no singles. They didn't even name their albums. And in 1969, they go tour America, and they hit it big. But they weren't big in Britain. They, they hit America first. What was the significance I think of they that? were big yeah. enough yeah. in Britain, yeah. but yeah. They, America was on a different scale because they could start doing those gigantic tours with yeah. super big stadiums. We didn't even have those big stadiums yeah. in Britain. Yeah. Big indoor arenas, very and, few of those. Um, uh, and in Britain, the critics were very sniffy. Very, why why very was sniffy. that? Why didn't they like I don't know, Maybe them? because um, they felt that they were a kind of derivative of cream. Okay. There was yeah. a lot of that around yeah. the time. Yeah. Maybe because the British media and the British culture is it's generally a thing to not be particularly enthusiastic about your own. Um, yeah. It's yeah. very different cultural mentality to... In uh, 1969, to, to United, we're talking But also about. to the United States. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it was often a thing in Britain to um, rather begrudge uh, people becoming doing well and becoming successful than celebrating them, uh-huh. especially if they did well in America. And that's a little bit. Uh, and and Zeppelin actually became kind of an American band in a way because they were they were, their headquarters almost is in Los Angeles in mm-hmm. a way in this Hyatt yeah, yeah. you know this hotel this yeah. notorious hotel. But I think in 1969 uh, they recorded Led Zeppelin one. What do you know about this first album? Um, well, yeah. I, I I never became aware of that album. Like, yeah. In nineteen, I was still uh, I was ten years old. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. yet listening to Led Zeppelin. I never yeah. started to listen to Zeppelin until I was twelve or thirteen. Yeah. So my awareness of the first two albums is sort of retrospective because mm-hmm. I cottoned on to Zeppelin with Led Zeppelin the third album. Okay. Um, but maybe what just... I knew was that all of the older people, all my kind of older cousins. Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, it goes back to the question of mystique. I knew mm-hmm. there was a band called Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. and I knew they were somehow heavy and significant and slightly frightening yeah. from the perspective of a young kid. Sure, yeah. Uh, and, but that all of the people who were five years older than me were com- completely committed to them. And I think that the term heavy metal derives from this. This and Black Sabbath came about the same time. This really... El- Deep purple as well. This yeah. heavy sound, right? And it's different. It's just, you know, now it sounds you know, kind of quaint to yeah, start, talk yeah. about that. But yeah. their first album, I, I've i heard stories, they recorded it in 30 hours, you know. Straight off the bat, I would think, yeah. Just boom. Yeah. And um, what's on that album, the first one? What songs? Basically Confused, You Shook Me, Communication Breakdown. Oh, all yeah, those and that's just Big, boom. The, I think the most yeah. notable things are the really um, amped up ver- blues yeah. songs. Yeah, yeah. How Many More Times You Shook Me, those things. And I think what one thing that you see about Zeppelin is they recorded four albums in four years that were probably the best. And this is the time the Stones are at their peak, too. I yeah, think they're... Yeah. Um, and yeah. in they come back from America, then they do Led Zeppelin two, which is my personal favorite. I think it's just one of those things that just hit, and it's released in 69 or 70, and they have their first hit, right? Whole Lot of Love. Yeah. It's like a hit. It's yeah. almost their first pop song. And, yeah. and I guess... They say they didn't want to have it released as a single, but it got released as a single. But actually, it worked, right? It's still, isn't it still the top of the pops? They used that as a well. Top you know, of the pops disappeared. Top yeah, of the pops yeah. was a TV show. Yeah, it yeah. disappeared years ago, but yeah. it was uh, for most of its duration. It lasted for many decades. And that was the theme song. That right? was the theme song. Ba-dum, ba-dum, bum, One version, bum. not yeah, the Led Zeppelin yeah. version of it, but uh, yeah, yeah. Alexis Corner, um, yeah. and a band called CCS, if I remember correctly, made a version of it. That was the theme of Top of the Pop. That represented the sound of rock music, yeah. So 1970, we have the Rolling Stone. I mean, the, the, the 
you know, the Beatles break up. We see Jim Morrison dies, Hendrix dies, Janis Joplin dies, and there's a vacuum left, and, and Led Zeppelin kind of filled Led it. Led Zeppelin filled it, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and how Because did, the Stones yeah. had already been around for 10 years. Yeah. But Led yeah. Zeppelin, I think, were the new thing. Yeah. They yeah. were the Stones level, post-Beatles, new thing, but, yeah. but new. So we have Led Zeppelin two. what's on that? Uh, you know, that's You've got Ramble On with the Tolkien Ramble On, and, and that's Robert Plant has his reading Tolkien, and he even talks about Mordor in there. So it's not just a band. They're, they're a little bit deeper. Yeah, right? But you've also got Moby Dick. You've got the big John Bonham showcase there. Yeah. Um, so even, even in a period where drummers tended to uh, get a lot of drum solos mm-hmm. and be much more showcased than they would have been before or after, that album, I think, is... is, is Kind of very heavy on the John Bonham in a good way. And so we get Led Zeppelin, 1970. They become kind of the stereotype of the the big rock and roll band that they're you know living the lifestyle, throwing televisions through hotel windows. That's that's the Who. Well, whatever. I think yeah. 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 There was a kind of they probably learned it from. There was a kind of. I always thought with those really big American tours that Led Zeppelin and the Stones did. Yeah. That there was a uh, kind of last days of Rome, yeah, excessive, yeah. Uh, over-the-top kind of great drama going on there. So we have a word-of-mouth band, largely. Um, takes America in 1968, 69, 70. And then in Led Zeppelin three, they kind of retract a little bit. There's a famous story about, you know, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page going into Wales and spending time and... And that Led Zeppelin three was much more. Well, it's almost a folk album. Lots of acoustic. Second, well, yeah. I think Led Zeppelin three yeah. uh, has well, it has since I've been loving you, yeah. which uh, yeah. a lot of people, as far as I recall, will will, will say is their favorite Jimmy Page solo. Uh-huh. Incredible. Yeah. One of uh, I think there are two there are two moments in which Led Zeppelin raised the blues, raised the idea of the blues and the blues mm-hmm. form to mm-hmm. unprecedented heights. Yeah. One of them is since I've been loving you on that yeah. album. Yeah. And the other is when the levy breaks on the following album. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, but the second side of that album uh, is not what I think Zep yeah. fans were expecting. Yeah. Zep Free is the first album I got to grips with. Why did you get to grips with it? Because yeah. uh, I, I, I borrowed it from a cousin, mm-hmm. and I was exp- I, I was very much taken by the acoustic uh, and more folky tunes on side two. I'd never heard anything like that before. It's quite beautiful. I'd already heard rock music. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. already heard rhythm and blues. I'd already, yeah. I'd already heard all that stuff. But I hadn't, uh, and it's an interesting thought. It just occurs to me. I wasn't at all in touch with the whole kind of tradition of English or British folk music. Tell us something about that. Well, mm-hmm. um, I just didn't, uh, all the music I'd known up until then had either been rock and pop music or show, American show tunes, which my parents loved. Um, you know the Broadway songs, yeah. Gershwin and that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, all, all that, and Tin all Pan the Alley old musical, and, Tin Pan Alley, all the old musical songs, yeah. the yeah. English yeah. music hall songs, yeah. which is a form yeah. of working class yeah. musical theatre. Yeah. So that was the music I knew, and there was a lot of music there, but I hadn't heard anything like that until I heard that Zeppelin album, and that captured my imagination. So I found that their third album really compelling because the first side features very intense, high caliber, high high octane rock yeah, music yeah. and the second side you've got this reflective gentle uh, very lyrical but also in its own way intense non-electric music and i've heard the story that page and, and plant really bonded during this time like they they really had this connection you mm. know like they spent time out of hollywood or yeah. out of los angeles you know there i think they went much deeper into the yeah. whole joe baez yeah idea yeah and it's beautiful music really led zeppelin is almost a folk band in half of their songs yeah. you know yeah. i mean you could it's, make it that carries point. on zep four as well yeah yeah and what do you have to say about this this idea that uh you know they're they're amazingly prolific and they go into led zeppelin four and this is your personal favorite you've told me and mm-hmm. what's special about that album you know, and the they were w- albums at the time we have to remember they were albums physical vinyl with covers and they never had a name on their album which is part of their contrarian nature no well, singles, on the fourth no album they, there was no there's no writing yeah, there's no nothing nothing it's no. just you know yeah. um the, well i think there are a couple of ways to address that question mm-hmm. first of all it's special because it's 
from my perspective and, and many many others i think the the by a country mile the greatest rock album ever recorded mm -hmm. why tell us why it's just that it's all in the music yeah it's all in the music yeah. Um, you, you can talk or not talk. You can want to talk or not want to talk about Stairway to Heaven. I think there's no more to say about that. But when they hit you, they hit you with the kind of the two punch at the start of the album. You have the kind of folk and mystic elements as well as you get to the second side, and it finishes with when the levee breaks, which for me has always been the greatest piece of rock music ever recorded. We have Black Dog Sonically on Sonically speaking, you've got Rock and Dog, Black Dog and Rock and Roll. And that's the famous Bonham intro. Yeah. And and J yeah. Jimmy Page tells a story about the, how accidental that story, that, that song came about. He just heard it and he goes, yeah, that works. And then boom, you know, those guys were really worked together well. They were intuitive. I think they were all yeah. very, very uh, in individually great, high caliber musicians in their own right, but they had the kind of chemistry. Yeah. Uh, that not many bands have ever uh, approached. And they had the stereotype as the stoner band of the 70s, you know, lots of drugs, rock and roll, sex, drugs, rock and roll, but they were actually very creative people, very professional It doesn't seem to have know. hampered them. Yeah, I mean, if man. you look at them in the early 70s, mm -hmm. to, for my money, the Stones peaked in 72 with Exile on Main Street, and mm -hmm. after that, it was really all downhill mm -hmm. from Goat's Head Soup. Mm -hmm. uh, so those great, big kind of uh, last days of Rome Stones, Stones tours of America, mm -hmm seem to have been very excessive yeah uh, and in a way which i think might have robbed them of some of their creativity and or we'll the coherence as a band we'll talk but about the, this in a minute zeppelin it? no Zepp yeah. zeppelin mm -hmm. then one yeah. two three yeah. Yeah. i think uh houses of the holy is a bit of a dip okay so they you think houses of the holy i thought it was a, a, a catastrophic dip and why in quality yeah. well yeah. i'm just going back to being there at the time as a kind of fanatical zepp teenage yeah, teenage yeah. zepp fan yeah and i'd uh, i'd heard three and I, then i went back to the first two albums mm -hmm. and then four came out and the fourth album would have been a christmas present for me the year it came out 71 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because by the time i was 10 or 11 when my parents asked me what i wanted for christmas i just said well get me the new mm -hmm. Zeppelin record or get me the new faces record mm -hmm. and so was was the it was such an such an album that nothing was ever going to compare with it. And then there was a long wait. I remember from the seventies these long waits between albums. Yeah, yeah. I remember a long wait between the fourth album and Houses of the Holy. Okay. And when it came, I thought it was well, we even, very weak. Even young kids today, you've told me your students relate to Led Zeppelin. Maybe even in the Marvel world, they have the Immigrant Song was on one of the. Oh, you know the, the the marvel films and people say wow that sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday mm -hmm. you know why do your kids relate to led zeppelin today your students i mean you know why what what get, get... the power and the quality and yeah. the uh, yeah. intensity and just the beauty of mm -hmm. the music i think mm -hmm. is, is all people need i think that it's you know, aged quite well i think, I think it's, yeah. it's aged yeah. perfectly well yeah, yeah. Uh, especially in our current situation where uh, i think a lot of us agree or believe there's a great vacuum mm -hmm. at the heart of where a great vivid popular music culture used you to ask be. a kid down there what's your favorite band there are no bands anymore like certainly none that can pair with led zeppelin in the yeah, 70s. Yeah. so yeah. let's i think the appreciation of led zeppelin and bands like them yeah uh is partly connected to the, the kind of vacuum we're in now okay of kind of much more mechanized music but also just the music is so powerful it doesn't need to speak it speaks for itself so we're getting in your personal experience we're talking about britain in the mid 1970s tell us the the atmosphere the politics what's going on in the mid 1970s that that you know leads us into punk um and then zeppelin probably survived punk more than I think they survived yeah, it yeah. for a while by the skin of their teeth. But tell us about maybe the origins of punk and your experiences with Well, that. I think yeah. if we can just go back to Zep first, my yeah. associations with those first four Zeppelin albums, in fact, the first five, mm -hmm. are of the, the Britain as the, as the sick man of Europe. Mm -hmm. What does uh, that mean? It means it's an old term that was once uh, about the Ottoman Empire. applied to the Ottomans. Mm -hmm. uh, a... a a formerly successful but catastrophically failing economically society. And also empirically, right? I mean, yeah. the empires. Well, that's already yeah. gone. We're yeah. into a much darker period yeah. now. And there's swinging London. We forgot to talk about swinging that. Swinging London kind, that's of kind of came over. and went. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the 70s is really a decade of industrial disputes, 
more or less chaotic Labour governments. 1974, 75. And you've and got the IMF coming in at one point and we, uh, you've got you had a Labour government begging for, a, I think, a loan of around $4 billion. What do you think of Wilson to Heath? And, uh, well, I think the, that came under Dennis Healy, who was the exchequer yeah. under, in the Wilson government. Mm-hmm. In, uh, I, don't, I can't even remember now, 73, 73 yeah. after, after Heath. So we have but this... We, but you've got the International Monetary Fund. Yeah in some sense, administering to this formerly great imperial country. Mm-hmm. So uh, Britain is now needing bailouts. It's got endemic industrial disputes, uh, kind of connected to having a kind of socialist-like Labour government in power. And the famous Sex Pistol line is no future. No right? future. Uh, you know, so and, and so where, where was your experience with Led Zeppelin and your transition Led Zeppelin punk, you know, takes me back to those early years of the 70s, the first mm-hmm. four great albums of a kind of dark... Mm-hmm. I do have a nostalgic longing for it, but a kind of dark, dilapidated, bombed out still, bombed mm-hmm. out London. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, when I was a kid, uh, at the time Led Zeppelin 1 came out, I would still be hanging out with my friends on bomb sites. Bomb sites from Even World in War the early II. 70s. From the bomb, war. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a tipping point there between bomb sites and kind of urban regeneration where the Nazis, uh, the Germans bombed enough of the city for there still to be bomb sites when I was a kid in the 70s, Is 60s. This, you can see it in the television show Life on Mars. We've talked about that yeah, a little yeah. bit, that same era. They take you back yeah. to that. Yeah. And then that all got caught up and swept up in the kind of urban redevelopment of the 70s in which they built all the new council estates or housing projects. And you also see a transition in the music. You see guys like David Bowie come around who are sort of... Uh, strange transition into this nervous world of the 1970s where um and i think that transitions into punk a little bit um yeah so i for me first half of the 70s is Mm -hmm. led zeppelin and the rolling stones Mm -hmm. they were the band and the who Mm -hmm. and the faces okay um and then there is a sort of tipping point in the middle of the decade which comes well there where did punk come from just tell you know punk come i think mm -hmm. punk came from a generation of younger uh, music fans who felt that Led Zeppelin and Rolling Stones and all of those uh, progressive rock bands of the earlier part of the 70s. Uh, but nobody, that Led Zeppelin and Rolling Stones in particular, but also Led Zeppelin had somehow become, had lost the truth about what rock and roll music was supposed to be. They kind of became the, the parody of the Spinal Tap, right? This is, you know, like they had their own starship their own plane they had yeah they got Lear know, jets yeah they're yeah. hanging out backstage at nebworth festival with john get john paul getty the third the stones you're talking Stones. About. so it's 70, yeah. i saw the i saw zeppelin uh they played a famous sequence of shows at earl's court in london mm-hmm. in 75 i went to all of them all five nights very famous scene uh, concert very famous know. scene yeah. i slept yeah. i i queued up all night long this is in the days before the credit card hotline mm-hmm. or advanced ticket sales mm-hmm. If you wanted a ticket to see Zeppelin or the Stones at 75, 76, you had to go and queue. Yeah. So we queued up the whole night long yeah. in a sleeping bag with a Fermos flask of tea. Yeah. Uh, and so that was how important that was. You, yeah. If you wanted to... 1975. Get, 75, Led Zeppelin, Earl's Court. If you wanted to be in the front row... I think that's the front May section, of 75. May, they played like two seats. Yeah. They, yeah. they, yeah. they had three shows. Yeah. They sold out very quickly. And then they added another two. So I had to, I had to go and sleep out twice. To see Led Zeppelin, all and five that was nights. that important to you? But this it, up to that point, it was the most experience of my important experience of my life. Yeah. But at the same time, we get to 1976, and the song remains the same. This kind of strange film comes out. It's a documentary film. Robert Plant has hurt himself, broke his leg in Greece mm-hmm. or something, so they have to fill the vacuum, and they come out with this film, kind of a documentary, but it looks kind of cheesy. It looks overproduced. They have these fantasy things in the middle, you know, yeah. and it looks kind of ridiculous in some ways. And that's the year punk broke, right? 1976? No, 76, and... yeah, that's the year. So there are a couple of things there. First of all, like, before we get onto that, I just want to say that, that, that those Zeppelin shows, because I think they'd already peaked. Mm-hmm. The, on the one hand, they were their biggest and most mag- magnetic, but I think musically they'd already peaked as a live band. And I can remember... And this, I didn't know what to do with it at the time, being really pretty disappointed. You've slept out in a sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. You've waited years to see Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. And I'm there at Earl's Court for all five nights. And, and it, for quite long sections of some of those shows, even though I couldn't admit it to myself at the time, I couldn't admit it to myself at the mm-hmm. time, it was a bit... It, 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 
too wasn't big, what I too much, expected. Too much yeah, production. Yeah, too, no, yeah. there's been the expectation was so high. Yeah. yeah. To see to see Led Zeppelin is nineteen seventy five. That I think they couldn't. I think they peaked in seventy three or seventy four as a live band. But music and the culture started Robert to Plant change. Robert Plant also had trouble with his voice. Uh, music point. and the culture started to change in seventy five. You get America, you get the disco, you get the Ramones, you get Patti Smith. Um, even Blondie, Talking Heads at CBGBs. You start to see music getting raw, more raw, um, and they have an outlet, and it's it's an underground outlet, but it's completely different than these, uh, you know, the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin. It's much more primitive. And the term that came up was punk rock, right? And you yourself turned into a punk rock. I became a punk in 1976. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but in the summer of 1976, I was at the Rolling Stones, massive and legendary kind of Rolling Stones thing in Nebworth, where we were made by something that felt like a very aristocratic mm-hmm. and arrogant kind of elite type operation to sit in a field for hours and hours and hours and on end. Ten years earlier, they had written can't get no satisfaction and they were raw and they were part of this young culture and now yeah, but, 10 but now, years later but, but they're... now they're keeping you waiting the whole day while yeah, they yeah. party backstage with Jack Nicholson yeah uh, Leonard Skinner were on that bill which was more than enough compensation but they were huge <laughs> and they were a far better band than the Rolling Stones at that point yeah, as a live yeah. act yeah yeah in my estimation, uh, but the point with that is that Rolling Stones comb they, they kept they kept us all waiting I walked out you walked home. I, no, it was a long way from London, but okay. I walked towards yeah. the train station. Sure, and the I train slept station. on a telephone. I slept in a telephone box in the, when I yeah. got back to London in the yeah. station because you were dissatisfied with the. Stones. I walked out yeah. I, on a roll in mid set because I was disgusted with how how late they kept how long they kept us waiting, yeah. and how crappy they were. Okay, so we get into punk. So and I'm all, so I come away from the Rolling Stones in '76. Yeah, somewhat disappointed by Zeppelin in '75. Yeah, but really disappointed with the Stones in 76. Yeah. And I walked straight into the Wardour Club in the summer of 1976 where a band called Eddie and the Hot Rods were playing. Eddie and the Hot Rods. Eddie and the Hot Rods were a pre-punk. Yeah. That was a, a kind of a, a street level, Soho club level band that just played proper free chord, up-tempo rock and roll music for young people. Raw, exciting. A little bit like the Ramones. Oh, yeah. They were yeah. kind of in a way, yeah. without any of the punk attitude, Mm-hmm. They were kind of in a way like the Ramones because I'm not sure how many people remember this or know this, but the punk thing really blew up in September 76 with mm-hmm. a, a, the punk festival at 100 Club on Oxford Street, mm-hmm. which I went to. I saw the Pistols and the Clash there. Sex but in that summer, before we got Clash, there, yeah. mm-hmm. I would stand and queue for long periods of time to get into see a Eddie and the Hot Rod show and everybody was complaining about the Rolling Stones. Okay, so the Rolling Stones are passe. All of the 18, 19, 20-year-old kids were saying the Rolling, fuck the Rolling Stones. 1976, it sounds funny now, but the Stones and Zeppelin are passe and you need looking yep. for something newer. Yep. And punk filled that void. Sex Pistols have this raw persona. Some of it's manufactured, but it hit, it hit the culture in, in some ways that it's hard to describe now. What, what, what was about it that attracted you to I punk? I think you know? it was the feeling that I'd been obsessed for years up until that point at the age of 17 or wherever I was mm-hmm. with with an older generation of musicians who had um, somehow let me down. Mm-hmm. You're talking about Zeppelin, The Stones. In specifically. Oh, yeah, yeah. And those were, they were playing in front of 70,000 people now. They and, were just... And, yeah. mm-hmm. I love those... Uh, uh, rock and roll when it was, when it was exciting and yeah. edgy and energetic. And it wasn't anymore. And it no. wasn't really. No. So what was it about punk? Tell me something about... Uh, Just you, the energy. And the, but you, you felt like it was yours because the the, uh, the the people in the bands were probably a year or two, a couple of years older than me. Yeah. But um, it just felt like it was real. It had come up out of the ground and all the frustration... I w- it's an interesting thing because I wasn't aware of being frustrated by Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. until I saw the Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. I was aware of being frustrated by the Rolling Stones, but yeah. that's, maybe that's... Tell me about that. Just quickly, give me a brief thumbnail sketch if our viewers haven't ever heard of the Sex Pistols. Who are they? I, mean, I think everybody's heard of the Sex Pistols. You'd be surprised. So, I mean, um, well, they were... The biggest uh, kind of shift or comparison between the really big British uh, rock bands of the early part of the 70s was musical simplicity, mm-hmm. 
three chord uh, high energy directness angry lyrics approach. oh and nihilistic stroking uh, nihilistic or kind of more political kind i don't care type of attitude i don't care there's yeah, a lot of nihilism yeah. there but when you get to the clash you get a bit more kind of cultural okay. politics in those songs so you told me an interesting story and i think we should move on with this anecdote that you were at a show and you standing next to Robert Plant and Jimmy Page, much to your surprise. Can you tell us about that story? I, in 1974, I left school in 1975. In 1974, I got reprimanded by my, my teacher in school for having the words, Robert Plant is God, written on the front of one of my exercise books. You just wrote it down. Like that's a, what you I mean, did. We were like sure, yeah, kids. Yeah. Yeah. We were all mind... Well, that's what it was. Uh, so, in 1974, 1975, Robert, the, the guys in Led Zeppelin appeared to me to be gods. Mm -hmm. Probably something they cultivated with that kind of Zepp mystique. Sure, they had that, even though... They were kind of Hammer of the Gods. The book about that. that yeah, book, it was called Hammer they of the were, Gods. They were, it was like a gigantic mystical cult. And Plant had that sort of... And they were the gods in there. You know, and they ran the cult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, that's how I saw them. Yeah. And then, in... So, 74, 75... 76, I think, was the year that Presence came out. I wasn't very... I thought that was okay. Yeah. Uh, and then when the punk thing happened, in uh, January 77, I found myself standing in the Roxy Club in Covent Garden, yeah. which was the kind of central place at that point, the first real uh, punk venue in London. In London. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Covent Garden. Yeah. And I'm standing there on a Wednesday night. I was going out four or five nights a week at that point, just seeing new bands. Yeah. Uh, some of Lots of energy punk. there with punk. Loads of energy. Yeah. It was a scene. Yeah. Yeah. See, what yeah. you didn't have with, with Led Zeppelin or the Stones and all those big stadium shows yeah. is there was no scene. A little bit like CBGB's in New yeah, York. Exactly. Too. So yeah. I think yeah. young people, yeah. Yeah. people in their mid to late teenage years, they need a scene mm -hmm. for it to get really exciting. Like you can see in the Yardbirds in the blow-up movie. Yeah. Um, so I'm there and I'm watching a band I can't even remember the name of now. Mm -hmm. And there's all these people presenting themselves as punks. Mm -hmm. And um, I was talking to a couple of friends. We were drinking beer. And when I turned around from to look towards the stage, I found that Jimmy Page and Robert Plant were standing right next to me. It's an amazing feeling. Huh? As close yeah. to me as you are to me now. Just no, it wasn't an amazing feeling. It was a horrible, confusing, disorienting feeling. Because I didn't know that. what to yeah. do. Because we've well, talked about this before. Explain it's not that, that long yeah. before yeah. that they were like gods to me. Yeah. Yeah. But now I've, I'm fully, for a short period, in late 76, early 77, I've fully subscribed to the uh, year zero, let's start again. Clean ground, slate, clean nothing slate. matters before. Yeah. Yeah. They've let us down, yeah. they've betrayed us. Now, yeah. there were a few people from earlier, there's some of them, you know, like the Stooges and yeah. the Ramones. Uh, so Velvet Underground. It's what is, these days we are used to calling cognitive dissonance. Two yeah. things are true in my head at the same time. One yeah. is that is Robert Plant and he's standing right next to me. And the other is that Robert Plant is a bad guy because I'm a punk rocker. Were they in disguise at all? No, they were just standing there. Completely. Like, just two, couldn't, like, two, couldn't two, care. Two standing legends. there holding a beer. Yeah, I believe yeah. John Bonham was in circulation at that yeah, night, but yeah. I never saw him. Okay. I can't say. Yeah. But I saw Plant and Page. They're just and checking out the new stuff. There, yeah. Carrying, yeah. Drinking a beer, keeping their own counsel, trying just to... Or just watching the band. Mm -hmm. And I was... And I was so disturbed. Uh, you were conflicted. I didn't know yeah. what to do. Yeah. I didn't know. Uh, I wanted to reach out and yeah, I just talked. Yeah. Like two years earlier, I would have given my right arm to be that close to them and mm -hmm, talk to them. Mm -hmm. Now, here I am. I'm 17 or 18. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. And I'm thinking, no. So I, I just couldn't deal with this conflict. So I, I walked out. I went and had a, went, went to the pub somewhere. So Led but that was a big thing. That was a, one of the most memorable experiences of my life. Because in some ways, and people forget this, a lot of the, the targets of punk were these big bands that came out in the 60s. Even Pete Townsend wrote a, the famous song, Who Are You, was about the punk. What, what was that about? Why was Pete Townsend? I think Pete, more than the others, Zepp were quite cool about it. Yeah, I think the Stones yeah. were... They're in their own world. They're in their own world. They don't yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. Um, Zepp, yeah. uh, I think, were genuinely curious about punk to see yeah. what was happening yeah what is this new wave what is this uh, new thing yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think they were kind of guys who just loved the music mm -hmm. and they were kind of so they were just there in an unpretentious and way and they to, probably thought you know it's been seven years these are the new Yardbirds in a way you know like, yeah in a, in plus a way. they yeah. I think Zebra always about the music yeah. they never had anything to say yeah. about social commentary they weren't political no 
And yeah. I think that they never saw themselves because those early bands weren't so. You could look at the Stones or or, or the Who in the sixties, and they looked like they were somehow were spearheading or belonged at the head of some kind of movement. Yeah. But Zeppelin were never like that. You've told me this story. Like, try to find a political statement that Jimmy Page ever made. No, or, they, or there's, no, there's, no, there's no there's no politics there. Yeah. So, yeah. I think they were only really interested in the music. Okay, and, and then, then with the Who. Uh, a few months after that, uh, I found myself at Generation X show where Pete Townsend and Keith Moon showed up to do what Page and Plant had done. It's Generation X, it's a Billy Idol. Billy Idol's band, I never cared for that band, I wasn't yeah, interested. But yeah, I was just, yeah, you would yeah. just go because you had yeah, to be part of the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I had no interest in Generation X myself, but I would go to watch them. Yeah. And I uh, saw Keith Moon being more or less carried out of the place by his cronies. I never saw Pete Townsend, but Pete Townsend uh, was angry. He took... He took, I think he took it seriously. Well, it's a challenge to him as a, a, as a rebel. It's a younger generation. From Pete Townsend's perspective, yeah, like, I'm yeah. the guy. Yeah, yeah. And he was a working class guy, right? Yeah. Pete yeah. Townsend? Yeah, yeah. Uh, daughter even more so. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't think, I think there was a kind of a cultural status thing in Pete Townsend that the Zep guys didn't have. Mm -hmm. Pete Townsend used to be the guy. Yeah. Used to be like at the, uh, but... So what's what I've been mean, talking about my generation hope I yeah. die before I get all old that. you know all, all that, that stuff you know the whole mod thing yeah, yeah uh, all yeah, that quadrophenia yeah, stuff yeah, so yeah. he took it personally yeah and uh, and was I think affronted and angered by it he, uh, in it, a different way it, from this it was kind of a personal attack I mean yeah. it's a young no no middle-aged person ever wants to get attacked by somebody younger yeah, than them it's well, a threat so but and he, they're still pretty young the who are pretty young still then. quite young men I mean for you know in terms of you know just our normal life Spans who are still young, but in terms of music, I heard Jeff Beck tell a story once where he says, "In when you're in music, the present is never good enough." Like J Jeff Beck tells a story, like, "Well, we couldn't do singles anymore with the Yardbirds," and then I heard Green Onions, what you know, like Booker T and the MGs, and I said, "That's it. That's the only thing." But then something moved forward, you know. So there's you're never good enough, and Led Zeppelin fell into that thing where in the late seventies they're kind of passe, and it sounds strange, but in nineteen 77 a lot of bad things happened to him uh there's this incident in oakland coliseum where they have a lawsuit against bill graham because peter grant beat up and john bonham was, i don't know but um cool. you know and and then robert plant's son dies and it's it's a it's a, an event in in somebody's life that you can't ever explain a mm -hmm. young somebody you know a young you know somebody that you love so much dies at such a young age and i think it affected the band it changed their sound a little bit they yeah. never really came back from it they were already yeah. if you look at it from a musical perspective i think they were already getting on their way out mm -hmm. getting weaker mm -hmm. uh they're getting towards 30 losing their intensity 30, 30s you know life changes People, you can't keep making albums like Physical Graffiti and Led Zeppelin 4. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's ever managed to do it's that. It's hard to explain to people um, sometimes, but these are these are human beings, and your life changes so much between age 20 and 30. Yeah. And, and you just, your values change yeah. a little bit, and, and your well, family. I think a part of the Led Zeppelin yeah, stories, yeah, they, yeah. a lot of them, they just wanted, to, uh, some of them, Bonham, maybe yeah. Plant as well, yeah. would have preferred, uh, John Paul Jones even more so, yeah. would have preferred to have been at home. Yeah, and they were. And they had all the money they needed by yeah. then. And, it, and, it, and it's hard to be on the road every day. I think it's like grueling hard work. I think Jimmy Pay, my impression is Jimmy Page just loved it. Yeah. And for him, it was it's just something he loved doing. I think the other ones were... You other know, members of the band started to look upon it more as like a chore. So when 77 rolls around, yeah. and then the punk thing is flared up, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 some uh, some something just seemed to go out of the, of the band. Yeah. And I think that it, disco is big in America. You know, so hard rock is kind of seems antiquated al almost instantly in a way. In 1977 and 78, that's a year of Saturday Night Fever and the Bee Gees and all that music. You know, so the, the Led Zeppelin, at least in my experience, I was a kid back then, but they had this reputation of being the stoner band that was yeah. kind of uh, excess. Uh, you know, we can talk about the social excesses of this, the 70s, but they were sort of passe going into the late 1970s and these, these tragedies happened with Robert Plant. And, and if you look at Robert Plant and, and John Bonham, John, you know, they're kind of country guys. You know, they, they like to be, they bought farms and things like this. They want to be left alone a little bit. And in 1978, 79 America, it's like the least, you know they're on the road and they're probably tired of groupies they're probably tired of this this life 
Yeah. And so, and I guess this is what I've heard, Jimmy Page has a heroin problem in the late 70s, and they, they go to do their last album, at least called In Through the Outdoor. And, and John Paul Jones is very melancholy when he talks about this. Mm -hmm. he, says, he says, we recorded it in the ABBA studios in Sweden, mostly in the dark in late 78, 79, and Robert Plant was the only guy that showed up. So that was our Single. album. Yeah. yeah, and you, you personally, you, you, you told me you never listened to that album. I, 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 am not sure if I've ever even heard it all the way through. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, well, there, I just, I became diverted away from Zeppelin at that point, yeah, and yeah. I've gone a lot, more recently in my more recent years, I've gone back to a lot of the older music. Yeah. But the punk thing took me away from Led Zeppelin. Yeah. For quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, and not only Zeppelin and some of the other and other bands uh, the, to the extent I never actually got around to listening. There's a bunch of Stones albums I never heard, yeah. and um, so I don't I don't even know the album. No. And I've argued with you that some girls and even the the B side of uh, you know Tattoo You is pretty good Stones music, but you just didn't have time for it because you were no. You were, I only you know, caught up with yeah, that stuff much yeah. more recently. Yeah, and and in Zeppelin. You know, all of my love was a big pop hit when I was in high school, and um, mm. and Fool in the Rain, I think, is on there. I'm not sure, but In Through the Outdoor is a much different sound. It's much more melancholy, going into the 1980. Yeah, and then of course the the tragic event occurs in September of 1980, and you can tell me you were telling me earlier today that you remember exactly where you were when John John Bonham died. And, um, well, I just. Yeah, I remember. I was at home. I remember being at home, and I and I picked up a copy of the newspaper, and it was in there. And um, Bonham was of all the guys in Zeppelin, Bonham was my biggest hero. Why? I, Why I love the like drums. Bonham? I love the drums. The drums, and he was a raw drummer. I was an aspiring, was very I was an aspiring drummer. drummer. I always um, uh, um, laziness uh, and um, yeah. when I was thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, I wanted to be a drummer because mm -hmm. of John Bonham. Because of John Bonham, yeah. Was, because of John, I love Keith Moon, but I was also, really it was John. Bonham. But both of the guys, Keith Moon and John Bonham, even the the character in the Muppets Animal is kind of based on this raw energy. Bonham was the, the guy I most identified yeah. with in the band. I looked yeah, at Jimmy yeah. Page and I just saw some kind of magician. Yeah, I thought, he's yeah. fantastic. I love him, but yeah, that's not yeah. that's not me. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's a connection with the punk thing here as well. Yeah. You know, they looked a lot like you, a bit more relatable. I looked at John Paul Jones and he was a kind of always a kind of enigmatic kind of thing. Yeah. I looked at Robert Park and he was like a god. Yeah. When I looked at John Bonham, I thought, yeah, that's the guy. He's every man. That's the guy, John yeah, Bonham. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just loved his drums. And uh, I was a drum nut. So, it was, so when Bonham died... It's what, September 25th, I'm thinking, 1980, which is we're into a new decade. There's the Thatcher and Reagan is just about to get elected in the United going, States. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, And it really was a cultural change. It's hard to explain to people nowadays, but the Thatcher-Reagan, 79 to 80, you can even see the culture changing very quickly, almost mm -hmm. like um, imperceivably, but you could see this something had changed. And Led Zeppelin seemed by 1980, they're not they're not an 80s band. They're no, a 70s they band. seemed very early 70s at that point. So tell me what you thought when John Bonham died. Uh, what's, oh, just, what it meant to you personally? Well, you know? it, for, for me personally, it was just like one of my um, biggest ever personal heroes. It, it was a personal thing, mm -hmm. a, a, a kind of. Um, yeah. I think John Lennon. Uh, when was John Lennon killed? John Lennon died. I mean, he was shot a and couple months Marley. after that. Early, I think, uh, early what December. What I seem to remember. Yeah. What I seem to remember is John Bonham, John Lennon, and Bob Marley was also a very big fan of. By yeah. that time. Yeah. Yeah. By that time. Yeah. Because um, as part of the punk thing, I, I, like a lot of us did, we really got into Jamaican music and reggae. And reggae yeah, yeah. So uh, Marley was a big guy for me by yeah. then. Yeah. And they all seemed to die in a very short space of time. And I thought. And that was the end, and, and Robert Plant was very personally close to Bonham. They were the, the mates and when they were teenagers, and, and Robert Plant said, I'm not continuing anymore as, as Led Zeppelin. And you told me Jimmy Page probably wanted to, but... Um, well, I think Page would have just carried on. Yeah, if you look at what yeah. he did in the 80s, he made, yeah. he had, he, he was, he would gather some musicians around him and make a record. He did the, the band, firm, right? The firm. Yeah, with, with Bad Company, yeah, I mean, Paul Rogers. Paul Rogers, and, yeah. but... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think he would have liked to have just have carried on. But it didn't, and I guess we can end the, this initial podcast with this. Led Zeppelin didn't carry on after September 1980. Um, it was the end of an era. 
Um, it meant something symbolically, I think, that this band didn't play again. They just said, we're not we're Oh, not they did doing. play at the Live Aid thing, didn't they? They did play at the Live Aid, and I've heard that Robert Plant tells a story that they weren't ready. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Page's guitar was no, They were a bit all over the place. They were all over the place. They had two drummers yeah. who didn't know any of the songs. Yeah, and it was so, chaos. Yeah. But still, in 1980, I think we should leave it here. That was sort of an end of an era. you know. There it was, was the end of an era, yeah, and I yeah, think the end of Led yeah. Zeppelin, and, and Zepp really... I think we'll always, uh, for a lot of us, we'll always embody that whole idea of what the, the rock culture of the 70s was. Why, the early part of the why 70s. don't we conclude this very, it's very interesting conversation for me personally. You and I are personal friends, and we've talked a lot about this late nights, and, um, but this is the first time I think we've ever talked about it publicly. Maybe you can end this, this podcast just telling you what Led Zeppelin meant to you personally and what they meant to your generation. I was, and, an, and, I was a yeah, kind of an unhappy kid in yeah, my yeah. early teenage years. Yeah, I was in a school yeah. I didn't like. I was in an, generally in environments I didn't like. And Led Zeppelin, for me, were like myself, were salvation. They were salvation. They took me into you. another world. It was yeah. really a quasi-religious mm -hmm. thing. Because uh, there were a million bands I loved because I was always a, a music nut. But mm -hmm. Led Zeppelin, more than any other band, took me into some other realm of imaginative experience. Maybe even like Tolkien in a way. Yeah, with pretty Robert much Plant. like Tolkien, yeah, now you yeah. come to mention it. Yeah, yeah, yeah They, they yeah. took you there. It's another universe, Middle Earth. You yeah, know, it was like very Middle Earthy, and it was, and the music yeah. just uh, was, was was kind of rapturous. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I'm in that kind of early to mid seventies, quite grimy. And people know, forget functional people forget like real. Taxi Driver was real. That was the real 1970s. Yeah, it wasn't that was not it, yeah. made up. No. <laughs> that was real. So That's what was, cities looked like yeah. in the 70s. People talk about now how things are bad, but man. It know. was, it yeah. was, yeah. I think, when I look back on my life and I think about my engagement with culture, mm -hmm. whether it's music, movies, literature, whatever, and I've got a lot of, lot of passions, nothing has ever really come close to the bond I had with Led Zeppelin mm -hmm. in 71, 72, 73. It was just a magical thing. And it's a nice, beautiful statement to end this conversation. Okay. Thank you for joining me, Gary. Thank you and, very much. I uh, really appreciated it, and uh, we're going to have you back for sure. Well, I hope so. Okay, okay, see you then. Have a good night. Cheers. Okay.